Hi, thanks for listening to C3 Hobart Online. If this message impacts you in any way, please don't hesitate to contact us. Thanks for listening. How are we? You can take your seats. Thank you so much. Turn to the person next to you and say, Happy New Year. Say it, Happy Year. Happy New Year. I was in bed at nine o'clock on New Year's. Anyone else with me? Party animals that we are. 10.30. A few years ago, there was a timber mill, a sawmill. And outside that sawmill, there was a security guard who was stationed at the front, whose job it was to check all goods inward and outward. And the security guard's standing at the gate, and it's 5.30 on a Monday afternoon. And he sees this man come towards him with a red wheelbarrow, absolutely laden, full to overflowing with sawdust. In fact, it's so full with sawdust that you can hardly see the man's face behind it. And he watches as this man brings the sawdust up to the gate. And the security guard asks him, what is it that you've got there? And as you would expect, the man answers, well, I've got some sawdust. The boss said he didn't need it. It's just lying around. And he said I could take it home. I use it for stuff. And so the security guard, being a thorough security guard, puts his hands right down to the bottom of that pile of sawdust. He reaches out to the left and he reaches out to the right. He moves his hands all around. But all that is in that pile of sawdust is sawdust. So he opens up the gate and he lets the man go. Tuesday, 5.30, exactly the same thing happens. Security guard is standing at the gate and a man comes again with another load of sawdust. He stops him again and he puts his hands right down to the bottom of that sawdust and he feels all around, right down to the bottom, right out to the sides, right up to the top. But all that is in there is sawdust. So he opens the gate and he lets the man go again. Wednesday, 5.30, he's sitting at the security gate and he sees the man come again with another load of sawdust. Something within the security guard starts to twinge. He starts to question, why would anyone ever need so much sawdust? So he decides that he's going to ask this man a few questions. So when the man gets to the gate, he says, now you've come, this is the third day you've come, And I want to know why you need so much sawdust. And the man said, I'm so glad you asked. You see, I actually have a lot of land and I have a lot of gardens and I make my own own compost. Do you make your own compost? No, I don't make my own compost. Well, I do. And if you know anything about compost, it needs 50% nitrogen and 50% carbon. And I'm low on the carbon. Sawdust is an excellent source of carbon. So here I am with my carbon source for my compost. And the security guard was... Fairly satisfied with that answer. So again, he checks the sawdust. Nothing else is in it. He opens the gate and lets the man go on his way. Thursday, 5.30, man sitting at his gate. The man comes again with yet another load of sawdust. But this time, the security guard is prepared. He gets a tarp and he stretches it right out. And he unloads all the sawdust and he spreads it out really finely. And he goes through it as with a fine-tooth comb. But all that is in that load is sawdust. And so he piles it back up. He rings up the boss and says, he's taking another load of sawdust. Is that all right? Yeah, of course it's all right. I told him he can take as much as he wants. So the security guard 
opens up the gate and lets the man go. But the security guard isn't satisfied. You see, everything within his 25 years of experience tells him that this guy is doing something dodgy, that this guy isn't doing something right, and he can't put his finger on it. He's checked and he's checked and he's checked and he's checked, but he can't find anything wrong. And he goes to home that night thinking and thinking and thinking about it. So when 5.30 Friday afternoon rolls around and he's sitting at his security gate, and the man comes with yet another load of sawdust, the security guard says, I need to talk to you. This is the fifth day in a row you have come with this huge load of sawdust. And I know you say you've got gardens, but I don't believe you. No one could need so much sawdust. And I can't take it anymore. You see, something within me tells me that you're doing something dodgy, but I can't catch you out on it. And you know what? I'm not. I'm going to let you get away with it. I'm going to open this gate and let you walk out. But I can't take it anymore. I have to know, are you doing something dodgy? Are you doing something wrong here? And the employee says, do you really want to know? And the security guard says, I really want to know. And so the employee says, okay, I'll tell you, I'm stealing wheelbarrows. (laughs) I like that story. Because the security guard and most of us would have been so focused on the sawdust that we forgot or neglected to see the huge wheelbarrow that was in front of us. You know, here we are at the start of a new year. It is the first Sunday of a new decade. It's 2020. And so many of us can be focused on the fact that it is a new year. And we love a new year. Some of us love New Year's so much, we make New Year's resolutions. Put your hand up if you made a New Year's resolution this year. Come. Two people. The rest of you aren't putting your hands up because you've already broken your New Year's resolutions on day five. But, you know, I've talked to a few people about New Year's resolutions and some people go, I'm not going to eat sugar this year. I'm not going to have white carbs this year. If that's you, I'll pray for you later when I eat my cake, okay? (laughs) Some of us are going to go to the gym every day or we're going to declutter our home or we're going to stop looking at our phone for three hours a day. We're going to cut it down to two hours 30. You know, we all have these New Year's resolutions that we do. And the reason why we have these New Year's resolutions is because we want to put our best foot forward for this new year, for this fresh start. And we often think, if only I could put my best foot forward, maybe then I would get this a fresh start or something different would happen in my life. And sometimes we can be so focused on putting our best foot forward and this new year that we can fail to see or neglect to see like the wheelbarrows that God also has something fresh and something new for us this year. But unlike the New Year's resolutions where we want to put our best foot forward, God actually wants us to put something else forward. And that's actually what we're going to look at today. But before we do that, I'm going to pray again because I need prayer. Okay, God, Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word stands, God. And we don't need to water it down and I don't need to dress it up. And so, God, I pray that you would have your way today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Turn to the person next to you and say, this is going to be good. 
Turn to the person on the other side and say, put your seatbelt on, she talks fast. <laughs> We're going to read from Luke chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 6, verses 6 to 11. I'm going to read from the passage, Passion Translation. Luke chapter 6, starting from verse 6, says this. On another Sabbath day, Jesus, somebody say Jesus, was teaching in the synagogue. In the room with him was a man with a deformed, somebody say deformed, right hand. Everyone watched Jesus closely, especially the Jewish religious leaders and the religious scholars, to see if Jesus would heal on a Sabbath day. For they were eager to find a reason to accuse him of breaking the Jewish laws. Jesus, knowing their every thought, said to the man with the deformed hand, Come and stand here in the middle of the room. So he got up and came forward. And Jesus said to all who were there, Let me ask you a question. Which is better, to heal or to do harm on the Sabbath day? I have come to save a life, but you have come to find a life to destroy. One by one, Jesus looked in the eyes of each person in the room. Then he said to the man, stretch out your arm and open your hand. With everyone watching intently, he stretched out his arm and his hand was completely healed. The room erupted with bitter rage because of this Sabbath day healing. And from that moment on, the religious leaders plotted amongst themselves about how they might harm Jesus. So here we have Jesus and he's in church. Synagogue is just a fancy word for Jewish church. But also in church that day, there is a man who has a withered hand, a deformed hand, a paralyzed hand, a crippled hand. Now, another historical text gives us a little bit more information about this man. It actually tells us that he's a he was a stonemason who got this injury through work. Now, this is before the days of workers' compensation. It's before the days of insurance. And so as a result, this man no longer could work. And he had to beg for bread for his family and for himself. So here we have this man that didn't just lose the use of his hand, but he also lost his skill and his employment. But there's more than that. You see, Luke actually points out to us that it was his right hand that was injured. And that's actually really important. You see, in Jewish culture, they placed a lot of significance and importance on the right hand. They saw the right hand as the symbol of strength. The right hand was the strong hand. Um, this is my left hand. But the right hand was the strong hand. In Exodus 15 verse 6, it says, Your right hand, O Lord, is glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy to pieces. In Psalm 20 verse 6, it says, He will answer him from heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. And there are literally probably 20 to 30 other scriptures in the Bible that talk about the strength of the right hand. So here we have this man with a withered hand that has also lost his strength. But he hasn't just lost his strength, he's also lost his blessing. Because the right hand was also seen as the hand of blessing. In Genesis 48, there's a story where Jacob is on his deathbed. And he, needs to, he goes to pray for the sons of Joseph, Ephraim and Manasseh. 
And he goes to put his right hand on the younger of the two sons. But Joseph goes to move his hand away from the younger and put it on the older of the two sons, the eldest son. Because they saw the right hand as the hand that gave the biggest blessing. And in that culture, they believed that the eldest child should receive the biggest blessing. And all the firstborn said, there's two of us, amen, I'm the firstborn. So here this man is. He's lost the use of his hand. He's lost his skill. He's lost his employment. He's lost his strength. He's lost his blessing. You see, the right hand was the hand that was seen to act. It was with the right hand that you would use the sword, but the left hand was typically used to hold the shield. It was with the right hand that you would greet someone in the marketplace, but the left hand was used for personal hygiene. So this man hasn't just lost the use of his hand, church, and he has lost so many things. He has lost his hand, his skill, his profession, his strength, his blessing, his ability to act, and he also loses his ability to speak. You see, church was done a little bit differently to how we do it here now. Back in those days, the, the rabbi or the teacher would come and they would read out a passage and a bunch of people would stand around the rabbi or teacher and discuss what that passage or that scripture could mean. They would talk about how it could apply to their life, other scriptures, situations it would work within. That's how they did church. That's how they did synagogue. But in Leviticus 21, it actually forbids anyone who had a deformed or withered hand from participating in that discussion. They could go and they could sit down and they could listen, but they couldn't participate in the discussion. So he's also been robbed of his ability to speak. So this man isn't just sitting there that day with a withered hand, church. This withered hand has actually caused him to have a withered life. You know, there wouldn't be many people here today that are sitting here with a withered hand. But I know if we're to be honest with ourselves, we all have withered, weak areas in our life that aren't just affecting one area of our life, but are actually affecting our whole life. You know, maybe you don't have a withered hand here this morning. But maybe you have a withered relationship with your children. Maybe you don't have a weak hand here this morning. But maybe you have a weak relationship with your spouse. Maybe you don't have a paralyzed hand here this morning. But maybe you are paralyzed by anxiety. You don't like talking to people. You find it hard to break out. Maybe you don't have a crippled hand here this morning, but you are crippled by fear or judgmentalism or apathy or I don't know. But we all have areas in our life that are holding us back. And here Jesus is in church. And here the withered man, the man with the withered hand is also in church. And isn't it interesting to note in that church service that not one person had asked for that man's healing? That man himself, if you read the passage, doesn't even ask for his healing. And the reason was this. You see, they had a, had a rule back then. Well, we still have... Who knows the commandment, the, the Sabbath is for rest? I'm the only one. Two people. Thank you. The Sabbath. Fantastic. Who knows? Let's try again. You've got to help the preacher preach, people. Okay. Who knows the commandment, the Sabbath is for rest? Me. Awesome. Thank you. 
The Sabbath is for rest. And the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time, they made a bunch of sub-rules over what rest really was. And they actually made so many rules about what rest was, they made rest work. And one of the rules that they had regarding what rest was, was that if somebody's life was in danger on the Sabbath, you couldn't do anything to improve the condition. You could only do something to stop the condition from getting worse. So, for example, say I'm in the kitchen and I'm chopping stuff and I drop my knives and my leg is cut open really badly. Blood's everywhere. My best friend just happens to be a surgeon. (laughs) I know, it's so random. She couldn't help me on that day. She couldn't come and sew up my leg and fix me up because that would be improving the condition. But she could get a bunch of bed sheets, place pressure on my leg and staunch the blood and hope I didn't bleed to death until the Sabbath was over. So that was the rule regarding the Sabbath. So no one's asking this for this man's healing because to ask for this man's healing would be seen as work. It'd be seen as breaking the Sabbath. See, everyone's seeing this man and his withered, crippled, paralyzed hand, but not many people are actually looking at the man. But Jesus sees past the withered hand and actually looks at the man. And let me tell you that Jesus actually looks past your witheredness, past your weakness, past your paralysis, past your atrophy, and sees you. And in verse 8, it says this, Jesus knowing their every thought, said to the man with the deformed hand, come and stand here in the middle of the room. You know, Jesus could have healed that man as he was sitting down. But he asked the man to stand up and come into the middle of the room. Now, remember what I said before about if you had a deformed hand, you couldn't participate in the teaching. You couldn't stand up. But Jesus is asking this man to come and stand in the middle of the room. And in doing so, Jesus is actually asking the man to come in on the teaching. He is placing value on what this man has. And this is before his hand is healed, church. Jesus places value on us, even in our brokenness, even in our witheredness, even in our weakness. He sees us and he places value on us. And it says that he asked everyone, you know, what is the Sabbath for? Is it to do good or to do evil? Save a life or destroy it? And then verse 10, it says, One by one, Jesus looked into the eyes of each person in the room and he said to the man, Stretch out your arm and open your hand. Somebody say stretch. Say it like a stretch. Stretch. Good work. Stretch out your arm and open your hand. Jesus is asking this man to stretch out the most withered, weak, paralyzed, vulnerable area of his life to take that and stretch it out before not only Jesus, but the whole crowd of people in the synagogue that day. Can you imagine how embarrassing that would have been for that man? 
Can you imagine how awkward that would have been for that man? Can you imagine how uncomfortable, how exposed that man must have felt, how vulnerable that man must have felt? But not just that, Jesus says, stretch out your arm and open your hand. What's wrong with his hand? It's withered. It doesn't open. So not only is it uncomfortable to do so or awkward or embarrassing to do so, it is actually physically impossible for him to do so. But when Jesus says, stretch out your arm and open your hand, there arose within that man a willingness to do so. And in the willingness to do so, church, came the ability to do so. What is God asking you to stretch out this year in 2020? He wants to do an amazing work in you. But it's going to take not just putting our best foot forward, but stretching out some areas that might be a bit uncomfortable and embarrassing for us. A few years ago, I read Purpose Driven Life. Has anyone read it? It's a good book. This is not a book promo though. But one of the, it talks about the five purposes we've been created for. And one of the purposes we've been created for, it says, is to be in relationship with other people. And when I read this book, I hated those chapters. And the reason why I hated those chapters is because I was very okay with me needing God. And I was also very okay with people needing me. But I was not very okay with me needing other people. Because to be honest, my experience had told me that people would let me down and that people generally weren't somewhat people you could trust. And yet as I read those passages, the Holy Spirit began to knock on my heart and ask me to open up my heart to these people in my life, that he'd, these people he'd placed in my life. And I remember crying in the church toilets before services saying, I just can't do this. This is just way too hard for me to do. And I remember actually crying out and saying, and I shared this at C3 Wednesday once, saying, God, I wish you would just take your finger off this area in my heart. It hurts too much. To which he responded, if I take my finger off this area in your heart, I'll have to take my hand off your life. What is it that God wants you to stretch out before him this year? What is it that he wants to work in you this year? What is it going to take? You know, as I read this passage in Luke 6, first few times I read through it, I thought it was only about a man with a withered hand. But the more I read it, the more I came to understand that there was actually more than just a withered hand there that day. There were also withered hearts. You see, it talks about the Sadducees and the Pharisees and they were, they were the religious scribes, they were the re- religious leaders and they were so caught up in what they thought should be done. They were so caught up in their understanding of the rules and what should be done and what shouldn't be done and they were so blindsided by their own agenda, they actually missed what Jesus was doing. And if you look, it says that Jesus says to them, What's the Sabbath for? Is it better to do harm or is it better to do good? I've come to save a life, but you've come to destroy a life. And it says not one of the Pharisees or Sadducees answer him. Do you not think that one of them could have poured themselves, gone full on their knees and said, you know what, Jesus, my heart is so ugly. 
I'm so judgmental. I want to say to destroy a life, but I know it's not the right answer. Jesus, save save me. Change my heart, Lord God. But not one of them says a thing. Not one of them stretches out that withered, that weakness in their life. And then we go to verse 11. The room erupted with bitter rage because of this Sabbath day healing. And from that moment on, the religious leaders plotted amongst themselves about how they might harm Jesus. They didn't stretch out anything before him. And as a result, they missed what Jesus was doing. You know, I know what I want to be like. I want to be like the man with the withered hand who without regard for anybody else stretches out those areas before the Lord and walks away with healness and wholeness in my life. What are you guys going to do? God has amazing, incredible things for us this year. We're going to pray and then we're going to actually participate in communion. God, I thank you, Lord, that you place value on us, even in our weakness and brokenness and vulnerability. God, I thank you that you have fantastic, amazing, incredible things for us this year. And God, I pray that as we walk away, Lord, that we would be so real before you, Lord God. I thank you that you place value on us. Lord, help us to see that and not be afraid. In Jesus' name. Hi, thanks for listening to C3 Hobart Online. We hope you've enjoyed this message. If you'd like to know more, you can find us at c3hobart.org.au.